0: You feel tangibly. But as a child grows into adulthood, and particularly when a child begins to raise their own children, they become aware of their parents' love in a whole new way. They begin to see that love through different eyes. And they mostly appreciate the love of their parents in a whole new way. And I want to ask you today as we begin this this message, have you come to the place where you can see your salvation through the eyes of your Heavenly Father? Do you appreciate the depths of His love for you does that love spur on your faith such that your hope in etern- of eternal life rests more in his love for you than your devotion to him? Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. At the day of Christ Jesus. Understanding the beginning of God's good work will help you have more confidence in the completion of that work. And that's where we are today. We have come to the life of Abraham. It's difficult to overstate the importance of Abraham. Genesis devotes 10 chapters to his life there are no less than five new testament books that give um, not just a brief mention of abraham but whole chapters are devoted uh, to to theological truth about the gospel coming from the life of abraham in your mind. Are you thinking through those 5? So the Book of Acts, the Book of Romans, the Book of Galatians, the Book of Hebrews, and the Book of James all use whole chapters talking about the life of Abraham. God's relationship with Abraham begins with his sovereign and gracious call, and that's what we're that's the title of today's sermon, the sovereign and gracious call of Abram. And if I flip back and forth between Abram and Abraham, I'm sorry. Kind of like Sarah and Sarai. They both get their names changed later in the story. This call is recorded for us in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And these are one of those uh, sections of scripture that would be great to have memorized. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. But before we get to the call itself, we've got to have another genealogy. Uh, Just to set the stage for us. So we're going to begin by reading Genesis chapter 11, 10 through 30 to begin. So if you would, follow along with me here. We're just setting the stage to Abraham. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad, two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And when Arpachshad lived and Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and he had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived thirty four years he fathered Peleg, and Eber lived after he fathered Peleg four hundred and thirty years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived thirty years he fathered Ru, and Peleg lived after he fathered Ru two hundred and nine years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru had lived thirty two years he fathered Sarug, and Ru lived after he fathered Serug two hundred and seven years and had other sons and daughters. When Serug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Serug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans, and Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Well, we know that Abram is a descendant of Shem, and we know from last week that God had declared himself to be the God of Shem, and so the calling of Abram is a working out of God's faithfulness to Shem. It is also true that the calling of Abraham is a working out of God's faithful promise to Noah. And even further back, the call of Abraham is a working out of his promise to crush the head of the seed of the serpent in Genesis 3.15. So in other words, the call of Abraham is not random from God's perspective. God's love for Abram precedes Abram. Long before Abram was pursuing God, God was pursuing Abram. That's the big picture lesson, I think, in the genealogy, to connect Abram with what has gone before. It's also helpful to see in this uh, genealogy that the ages are important. So in this genealogy, we are, uh, we're setting up uh, to bring us to a significant problem that Abram and Sarai will experience. And that is the problem of having children. Now, if you lived before the flood, you could father children into your hundreds and multi-hundreds of years. In fact, we see that at the beginning of this genealogy. Shem was 100 years old when he fathered Arpachshad, two years after the flood. He lived another 500 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So if the conditions were the same before the flood to after the flood, the whole story of Abraham makes no sense. Because when he gets to be 100 years old, he can't have kids. So we've got to somehow get from the conditions before the flood to the conditions after the flood. And the genealogy helps us with that. So we understand that during this time, very shortly after the flood, the, the average age of someone beginning to father children was around 30 years old. Right? Right? That's the time that we're given. Lifespans greatly reduced after the flood. We also begin to see at the end in verse twenty-six that Tara, Terah, T E R A H, it's man. I say that because my daughter's name's Tara, and every time I say it, I think of her. Tara doesn't father any children until he's seventy years old. And that begins to set us up with a problem. So I think prior to the flood, there's really no mention that anyone has trouble having kids. Barrenness was not really an issue before the flood. But after the flood, it is an issue. And even in the text that we have in verse 30, Sarai was barren. This is not even this is like a new problem. This has not really been a problem in the past for someone to not have children. Now, throughout the rest of Israel's history, it will be a repeated problem at times, but not up until this point. And so these are new concepts. And the, and the, the writer, Moses, is trying to bring you into the, the, the setting, the facts that you're going to need to know in order to understand the problem that Abram and Sarai will have. <clears throat> also in uh, 28 through 30, you begin to see some of the other characters that will come out. And, and this a lot, lot of times if you watch a movie or you read a book, they'll introduce a character and then later on in the story he will come out and become important. And so that's what's happening here as well. We get Abraham's nephew, Lot, he's introduced. Uh, we learn that, that Lot's father, Haran, dies while they were still in Ur. Um, Nahor is important Uh, he whenever Isaac needs a wife Rebecca is Nahor's granddaughter the daughter of Bethuel you don't need to necessarily know too too much about that but Bethuel is also the father of Laban so Rebecca and Laban are brother and sister Um, so all these, these people are being brought into the story they're just introduced not a whole lot told about them but they're just there to kind of set the stage for us now i'm going to read the last two verses of chapter 11 with the first three of chapter 12 uh, primarily to give context again because i think that they go very much together and i have but but the real reasons for doing this won't really become apparent until next week so uh, i was going to make a longer sermon and you're happy i won't do that so um so just know that chapter 11, 31 through twelve three it does all tie together. It has, it has uh, some emphasis on when does Abram receive the call, where is he, where does he go first, all these kind of things that we'll talk about more next week when we're talking about Abraham's obedience. But right now we're focusing on the call itself. So let me go ahead and read these to you and uh, particularly focus on chapter 12, 1 through 3. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. shall be blessed. There are three points I want you to see today. The call of Abram is based upon unconditional election. Secondly, the call demands all. And third, the call promises all based on unconditional election, demands all, promises all. From Abraham's perspective, or Abram's perspective, he is living his life, and out of the blue, God shows up. Abram, at this time, probably does not know the larger context. God does not reveal to him the first 11 chapters of Genesis at this time. For all he knows, God could be giving the same sort of call to people all over the world. Only as time goes on would Abram learn how incredibly gracious it was that he had received this call from God. God chose Abram out of his sovereign mercy. And even though that Abram fits into the godly line of Shem... It is not because of Abram's goodness that he is called. In fact, at the time of his call, Abram is worshiping false gods. We learn that particularly from Joshua 24 2. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Herah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Most likely, they were worshiping the moon god, which was the popular god of that region. And I would just state to you that human beings, every time they are left to themselves, abandon the worship of, true, of the true god and worship gods of their own Making, Abram is not seeking God at the time of his call. He is not calling upon God for help in the time of his call. In fact, an argument can be made that there were other people in the world who were more godly than Abram. Depending on how you think about Melchizedek. Melchizedek lived during this time. Also, it's very likely that Job was alive during this time. Why not choose Job? Right? The point of the story is sovereign grace based upon unconditional election. When we say that there was no good in Adam that influenced God to choose him, we are promoting the doctrine of unconditional election. If you understand the five tulips, that's the U of the the five points of Calvinism. Uh, The unconditional election. God elects Abraham. He chooses Abraham, but not based on anything good in Abraham. We should also see in this call that it is a personal call. In other words, God does not blare over a loudspeaker. Anyone who would like a new start, leave your country, follow me to a new country kind of attitude. And anyone who comes gets to do that. It doesn't give a general call. He shows up to Abram personally. And he says to Abram, You, do what I want. Now there are some aspects of Abram's call that are special to him as the covenant head. That's that's different covenant theology stuff that we're not getting into so much today. But in so much as Abram was unconditionally elected, Abram is a picture of everyone who has ever been redeemed. If you are here today and you are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is only due to the unconditional election and sovereign and gracious call of God. Period. Period. This call was motivated by God's eternal love. And it was given to Abram and to you in spite of your wickedness. God could have passed by Abraham and chosen someone else. God could have passed by you and chosen someone else. Salvation can be compared to a mighty river flowing from the cross of Jesus Christ, flowing from the eternal love of God. An unconditional election is God taking you, lingering in the desert, and plucking you up and bringing you into his stream of salvation. That's unconditional election. The Apostle Peter preaches a similar thing at the end of Acts 2 when he's preaching the gospel to people and he's telling them to repent. He says, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And then he makes this wonderful statement, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Who's saved? Who comes? those the Lord calls to himself. Do you see in your own call to salvation God's omnipotent, gracious, sovereign call towards you? Or do you think that it just happened that you heard the message and you believed? Because if that's all you understand, you are missing out on God's eternal, omniscient love towards you. Now, it is possible that you would struggle to believe in God's unconditional election. I struggled with it for years, myself. It may seem unfair to you that God would choose you for himself and not another. But whatever your personal objections in your own working out of the gospel here and now, you you cannot, it is impossible to get around that God unconditionally, and individually chose Abram. You just can't get around it. So there it is, the unconditional election of the call. But while election is entirely unconditional, God's call upon Abram will require everything. See, a lot of times we talk about unconditional election as if like, oh, it doesn't matter what you do, you just get to heaven. (laughs) No. When God calls Abram, he basically says to Abraham, I get all of you. There is not one aspect of your heart and life that I do not demand to be mine. If you think that you can be saved and be relatively untouched by God's call, you are sadly mistaken. The second point is this the call of God demands all, it demands everything. Look at the initial call in in chapter 12, verse 1. God says to him, first thing, shows up, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Now, if all you think that God is doing is say, let's take a trip, you can say, ah, that doesn't demand all. But if you start looking at what he's, he's actually telling him, you say, oh my goodness, he wants all. Notice the language leave is very similar to the language of marriage. Leave your father and mother and to be devoted to your wife. Leave your father, your home, everything, and be mine is the call here. God is calling Abram to himself. The depths of what will be required of Abraham are not yet laid out. In fact, it takes 10 chapters to see that all that God will require of Abraham. But the all-embracing Nature of the call is right here in verse 1. Abram is called to leave his country. Now, Abram is not a homeless person. He is not destitute. He has considerable wealth. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't be able to take this journey. He is likely a man of standing in his community. And there are many good things about his country that it will be difficult for him to leave. And yet God says you must leave. God also calls Abraham to leave his people. Now, no matter where you're from, you, if you stay in an area long enough, you will develop some affinity with the people around you. You'll develop friendships. They'll build attachments. Some of those attachments will grow stronger and sweeter with time. Robin and I lived, um, in our first like six years of marriage, we moved like seven times. And we made some attachments in those places, but not hardly at all. But we have been here almost 30 years. And there are strong attachments. Abram was in his 70s. He had lived in one place. You think he had attachments? You think he had friendships? You think he knew people? And God said, up, let's go. As a pastor, you see people often that um, as they get older will leave their community to come and be closer with their kids to be better to take care of them. And I, it, it's always a tragedy to me, and I, I think of it in my own life with my own parents living in Ohio. And um, I don't want mom and dad to leave where they're from because that's where all their connections are, all their friendships. All their... So here's God, shows up, says, hey, I want you to leave everything. Leave Burke County, John. (laughs) What is more, God also calls him to leave his own family. Now, I think when he says to leave your own family, he's doing two things. He's talking about the personal relationships of the family, but he's also talking about the religion of the family, the beliefs, the ideas. Because God is going to become his God. He's going to have to leave everything. Everything that he's known before. Later on in Genesis 31, Rachel will struggle to leave her household gods. You think it was easy for Abram to do this? God in the call is saying, I want you to love me and to follow me wherever my truth takes you. I want it all. So in this unconditional election, you're going, oh, that's really cool. On the other side, you're going, oh, my word, what does this require of me? I'm not so sure I want to be called. Jesus says something very similar in Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How about you today? Have you heard the call of God upon your life? Has he said to you, I want all of you? Have you left everything to follow him? In verse 4, not part of our text today, Abraham left as the Lord had told him. God's goal for you is not a portion of your heart. He wants it all. He doesn't want half of you. He doesn't want a third of you. He doesn't want 60%. As I think about my own resistance to give everything to God, I need to keep remembering that the call demands all. God doesn't call you and say, hey, give me a little bit of what you had." He wants all of you. Our prayer, like the hymn, should be, I surrender all. Thirdly, the call of God promises all. Verses 2 and 3. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now I have to admit to you that, that it took some time before I thought that these were really cool promises. <laughs> these are not the things that you just say, oh, yeah, I was, I was just thinking about how I could become a great nation. And when God says, I'll bless you, you think, oh, that's pretty cool. But what does that even mean? Over time, I have come to think better of these promises. In fact, I will try to make a case today that these promises describe everything that matters in life. They are specific, but they are also sweeping and all-encompassing. Let's look at each of these promises. What is implied in making Abram a great nation? Well, many children will come and they'll have become a nation, great but I don't really have that kind of ambition. And so I tried to try to bring this into my own thinking. One of my greatest joys in life, one of my greatest joys in life is my family. My relationship with Robin and our children. Our kids have grown and they're living in two other states far away, opposite directions, But it is true that we are still united together as a family. We share a common faith, and we share a common love for one another. And when I consider the number of families that have been broken up by either the changing of faiths or just animosity, when I think of what we share as a family, it is not perfect, but it is good and is one of my greatest treasures in life. Take that beauty and expand it to a whole nation. I know it's hard to do that because you think the further you get, the less you know people. But if you could have the same intimacy, the same love, the same interaction, the the oneness of faith, and then you expand it across the globe, that's what God's promising to Abram. This is why it's important for us as a congregation to continue to open our hearts to expand new people as they come into the church because we want them to understand that we are part of one people. It is also true that the greatness is not just numbers, and I'll talk about that more when we get to the greatness of uh, Abraham's name but the idea of a great nation is that they are also great in character. There's a lot of people that lived before the flood and it wasn't a great nation. So God also promises to bless Abram. Now the Hebrew root is Barak. Some people hear Baruch and I. It's a famous blessing that the Jews have. I'm sorry, I, did, I messed that up. Did you do okay with that? <laughs> I wasn't even in the notes. and it's just, I shouldn't do that to her. Um, but the idea is a sense of kneeling. You kneel down, and someone else bestows a gift upon you. That's the idea of blessing. And in this verse, the word bless is general. There's no qualification for it. I will bless you. He could have said something like, I will bless you with kids, or I will bless you with that. But he just says, no, I will bless you. Period. Generals. So here's the way I take this. It's consistent with the rest of Scripture. It's not just me. Whatever is considered blessing, whatever can flow from the heart of God, anything that you can possibly imagine and more, is included in this promise. Prosperity, children, health, safety, security, abundance, all of it applies. Now, I know we're going to get to this over time. Well, it doesn't look like it's fulfilled that way. I know we're going to get to that in the weeks to come. But right now, just hear the all-encompassing nature. I will bless you. This is not just... Peter saying, I'm going to bless you. It is, it is the God of the universe saying, I will bless you. So, as great as God is, that's how great the blessing is. Okay? Jesus said something similar when he said to people, I have come that they might have life and might have it abundantly. <clears throat> now, one aspect of this blessing is that Abram's name will be made great. It's very important that you understand the making of his name great is a part of the blessing because the making of Abraham's great name great is his character and his reputation that he you have to think about the development of Abraham, he is a sinner uh, that is um, worshiping false gods, and God comes to him and says, "I will make your name great." In other words, he's saying to you, "I will absolutely." Bring about the obedience of which I demand of you. The Tower of Babel was man trying to make their own name great, and now we have the promise of God doing it. And uh, one commentator, Hamilton, says, The great name will be a, a gift, not an achievement. Of course, the name ultimately comes from Jesus Christ. But what will be the result of Abram's name being made great? He will become a blessing. And here again, I want to know that God will bless me. I want to know that my character will not get stuck in the mud so that I will be flawed for the rest of my life. But I also want to know that somehow when God makes me into a new creation, that I will be a blessing to other people. And God promises it to him. How many of you sitting here today wonder, Has my life mattered? Isn't it wonderful how God knows these things? Then God says that he will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. In a minimum, this is a protection. God is protecting Abram. But I think it's more than that. I think he's basically saying to Abram I'm going to bless other people but I'm only going to do it through you. And of course we know that the Gentiles receiving the gospel is a part of this blessing, right? But it's through Abraham it's through this promise that this is coming to be. And of course Abram will spend his whole life going, God, I don't see the promise being fulfilled. Right? I mean, that's going to be the struggle his whole life. But this unconditional, all-encompassing promises of God, if you don't get this part of it, the rest of the story makes no sense. And I do believe that God is establishing at this point That the only way that you can please God and even begin to obey God is from a position of faith in the promises. Faith in the promises. It's always the foundation. Abram has to believe, he has to cling to that these promises will not go unfulfilled because God is faithful to his promises. That's the point of it all. He is faithful to keep his word and he is powerful enough to keep that word. So here we are to the conclusion for us today. You are called to believe God's promises. In Christ Jesus, he has promised everything to you. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. There is not one that will not be fulfilled to you, his people. You are called into a river of God's eternal blessing. That's what the call of God is. You didn't, get any, you didn't do anything to get called by this? I'm not just talking about the outward external call of preaching the gospel. I'm talking about when God calls you to himself. It is an unconditional call that he has not given to everyone. It is based upon his unconditional election. That is what happens when you have been brought into salvation. His call is not finished With you. It's interesting. God gives this call to Abraham at the beginning of his life. But you go throughout all of his life. And until he gets to sacrificing Isaac. You don't even understand the fullness of what this call really means. But it's here at the beginning. Abraham, I get it all. And I want you to draw encouragement from this. We all struggle to give ourselves to God. Your pastor struggles to give everything to God. It is the call of God that is pulling you up to absolute devotion to Him. And for one, I am thankful that He will not stop calling me until He has all of me. You should acknowledge to God your sinfulness. You should admit to him how you have failed to give him your all. You should turn again in repentance to him. Devoting yourself. Lord, I want to give myself to you. Help me to do this. But at the end of the day, fix your eyes on Jesus. He is both the author and the finisher of your faith. He has promised to give you what he demands of you. He has promised to say, you might struggle to give yourself to me, but I, when I found you, you were dead in sin. So you think I can finish the job? I certainly can. Have confidence not in your own devotion. Have confidence in the call of God and in the promise of God that He will carry you to the end. Amen.